What's up? Yes, man. I love these podcasts after wins, man. Let's just put it out there. Shout Always out. much better. Much better. El Sombra. He is leading the 60-win train now, bro. Yeah, dude. I love it, El Sombra. Appreciate Keep that you. going, man. We are now three out of four on the season. Not a bad start. About as good as we could ever hope for. Let's just, let's just let's just put 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 things in perspective at this moment with this team. Like, if we're looking at this team and we're saying three out of four is something that we can do consistently, um, thank you, El Sombra. I think we're looking at like sixty plus wins, and and I don't necessarily think that this is something that we can consistently do throughout the season because I do think that we're going to have some hiccups. It's just going to inevitably happen where we're going to lose two or three games in a row. But I also think that there's a chance that we could go. Uh, at least a part of a se the season and have a stretch where we win double digits games in a row. And to me, like that's, that's the bee's knees right there. And so, you know, with uh, um, El Sombra doing, saying what he's saying about this team and, and making sure that we can get this uh, team focused and ready to go, because if we can pull some of this stuff off, there is a chance that we pull 60 wins out of our ass. And if we pull 60 wins out of our ass, where does that put us? Because, Let's just be honest. The Denver game kind of opened my eyes to what a championship caliber team looks like and what we're trying to get to be like, you know, and that right there, in my opinion, um, the Denver Nuggets are a 60 win team as long as they're injury free. And that's yeah. as simple as that can be. And, and that's what we're up against. That's the competing that we're up against. Can we cover the ground that much in the first I would say, let's just say 60 days of the season. Can we hold our head above water for the first 60 days of the season? Because if we can do that, I mean, I think anything is possible. I mean, the first 60 days is rough. Yeah. But, you know, we got, we were looking at the upcoming games and we've got some winnable games. We got some mm. difficult games. Um, but let's I talk bet. about last night, man. Because let's talk about last night. Because last night to me with the Pistons is, you know, let, let's go, let's back up, you know, two thoughts here is you've got Monty Williams as the coach, you know, everything that that place means like to this day, that seat that his wife used to sit in still say sits empty, you know, like, like this is something that means something to, to coach Monty Williams. And every single time we play Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Suns would come out there, especially in Oklahoma city and they would whoop our ass. And the thing is about it is that like, there comes an emotional attachment to that. And what we saw last night was that, I mean, the Pistons, they came out ready. They were throwing, they were throwing punches. They were physical. They were causing issues. They were causing Shea issues. They were causing, I mean, issues just across the board. And what we saw was the physicality. When you're so focused on that physicality, what happens to the, this team is we get guys like Chet that fade out, set a screen and fade that, come down the court a little bit late and pop up for a three. And next thing you know is Chet has nine points in the first, like, what, eight minutes of the game? You yeah. know, and it was like, bam, all threes and just efficient as hell last night. It's just amazing because they took away the inside from him because of the big bodies and the physicality. And what does he do? He's like, I'm going to make these motherfuckers pay. Everybody on our, our chat was calling him a sniper. Everybody was talking about how amazing he was. To me, it was just a beautiful combination hey what's up el sombra appreciate that man man it was 
You're right, dude. We the way that we um in El Sombra, we do call-ins every single game. Um, that's where our call-ins are. We want um, people to come and hang out, talk the shit because it's so hard, you know, talking with people uh, during a podcast. So the games are the best time for us to hang out with people and talk. So, yeah, I mean, we've definitely been enjoying, you know, watching the games with everybody. Um, and you know, now that we're kind of like recapping, you know, a few wins and you know, one loss, we're trying to figure out, you know, is this team where we think it would be, where we thought it would be when we entered the season? Um, hmm. What all is going on here? And um, then you look at Chet's play, you look at Kaysen's play, you look at Shea's play, you go down the starting list, you go down yep. the bench, you realize we're still missing a couple of players. Like, this season is exactly where we thought it would be. The only thing that is a little bit outside of what I expected was <clears throat> I thought Chet would take longer to make an impact. Hmm. So I like it, yeah. That's like, that's about it, man. Like, I felt like, I felt like we would be in a in a really good spot, but you know, Chet's impact, the size of the impact it's made, you know, you could easily say two of those three wins were a big part, like Chet led us there. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily all of them, but like I do think his presence, the way that he changes shots, he alters the um offenses approach to attacking the basket and stuff like that. We didn't have anything like that. Really since Surge. You know, Serge Ibaka would protect the rim, but that was about it for us. So the evolution of this team, the evolution of our our coaching, our staff, and everything, it's right on track where we want to be, you know? It really is. Uh, what happened last night and watching the passion of Coach D, watching the passion of these guys, you know, um, I pulled up the uh, stats a second ago, but during looking at the stats, guys, I got sidetracked. Uh, I want to talk about what I just read here because it, it definitely um, plays into what's happening in Oklahoma City. Um, Clippers have traded for James Harden yeah, from the 76ers. Um, so we also threw in the 2026 first-round pick from the Clippers, but we protected it, right? And so it's not guaranteed to go to um, the 76ers. And we get a 2027 pick swap from the Clippers in this. So we're rolling the dice, dude. So it's what protections are in it. Um, they didn't say what the protections are yet. Um, so, this well, happened 39 minutes ago. Let's, let's see if we talk can. About what we remember about that pick swap. Okay. I believe yep. that it was an unprotected pick swap. No, it's, it's an unprotected pick in 2026. Or 2026. So yes, we basically, we, we, we put we protections on it. We probably lottery protected it, right? And then we flipped it back, and then we got a pick swap probably, on top of it. The pick swap will probably include, if it doesn't come in, doesn't work out, then it'll probably include at least a couple second rounders going that way. And then that way, think about this, man. If we just traded a pick that could not fan out, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. crazy, bro. Well, at least if we keep that protection on it. Like, we could yeah. basically... Theoretically, by trading this pick, we could end up with two first-round lottery picks for this. Yep. Instead of just one. And the only way we end up giving it up is, say, if it falls outside the protection, which we could say is, like, maybe top 10 protected, top 12 protected. And outside of that, we keep it. And then we come back and we get the 2027 Clippers pick swap. Yep. Well, Why do they keep again, giving us these swaps? They're dumb. And, and these guys are really you know, dangerous if the team is going to be better than you in the future. 
All right, 2027 pick is uh, what three drafts from now, right? So we said actually it's four. I mean, yes, three drafts. But all right, so think about that. Kawhi and Paul George are going to be like 37, 38. Yeah, I mean, Russ and Harden will be like 26, 25, 26. They're almost 40, bro. So, like, that pick swap right there, like 2027, we just pushed out that one more year, you know, and we protected that pick. So, even if we didn't, I'm sure it's going to end up being one of those picks that we end up like giving the worst of the three picks, you know what I'm saying, that we have in 2026. That's what I think will end up being. Like, they'll get a first-round pick, but it's going to be a shitty first-round pick from us. Because that's what we did with, um, who was it the other, uh, the other year that we did that with? Denver. They wanted a first-round pick. So we gave them the shittiest of all of our picks. And yeah. we got a pick in 2029 or something like that. So, Carson, you're saying, why do we give up a pick in the James Harden trade? What we ended up getting back, Carson, was this. Um, we end up giving up that 2026 pick swap with the Clippers. It wasn't pick swap. It was unprotected. Unprotected but pick. we protected that pick now. We slammed some protections on it. We're, we're just speculating, but we're thinking lottery protections. And what we get in return for that is really the important thing. It's a pick swap with the Clippers in 2027. So that's, that's how we won the trade. Um, obviously, it's, it's just pushing that years out. And that's what Sam wants to do. He's consistently trying to take... 24, 25, 26, 27, and push them out as as far as possible because, again, these picks are what people want. Like, in the next couple of drafts, we're going to be able to trade at least two picks in the next couple of drafts that later on will end up being top 10 picks for us. And there'll be like a 20th pick, you know? It's because Sam Presti is going to push these so far out that he knows that these are not, you know, going to turn out to be good picks for us. I think the the key is what we saw with Denver when we made that trade that you mentioned a minute ago, where we gave him the worst pick, which was the last pick of the first round. And in return, we picked up, I think, the 2027 first round pick. So 2029. 29. And we're saying at that point, we're just assuming that they will be and it's worse. And top three protected too. Right. They're going to be worse off, right, when they're in those years because it's going to be more difficult to maintain that level of championship caliber play. That's our bet. Um, we could that be is. wrong, but that's a bet. We that's keep what we making. bet with the Clippers last year. Right. Right. We you bet know, it again this year with the Clippers. Yep. And, and that's what we're doing. And that's what we're consistently doing is Sam Presti is looking at the future and saying, like, do I want to trade with this team? Yes. Okay. I'm trading with the Houston Rockets and I'm giving them Russ, right? They're giving me um, Chris Paul and I'm taking a 2024 draft pick. Well, they're not going to be bad in 2024 because you're still going to have a 20, 36 year old Harden and a 34 year old whatever, right? Well, guess what? He called it right, man. Yeah. Next year, we could get a top 10 pick from them. And all we have to do is sit there and watch how Houston just barely straddles above water. Brilliant, bro. Yeah. yeah and and, and Alessandro's got it right. Like, we're, like, we're all doubting that Harden and PG-13, Russ will still be, you know, um, capable of helping the team win, and Kwai will still want to be in Clipperland at the end of all this fiasco. I mean, like, anytime that you say, like, oh, our, our um, Hail Mary, shoot the moon, is bring James Harden, is you know, you, and you know you're fucked. You know you're fucked. 
Well, I do believe if you're using James Harden as your third option, then I think that you're probably the best scoring team in the league. And I, I want to say this right here is that they give up a lot of depth to be able to get James Harden. I, I, I think the best time that we'll, or the worst time we'll see this in, in aspect will be in the playoffs. But if this team clicks, man. They could win a championship. And I want to say this. I want Clippers to win a championship, not just because of Russ, because if they win a championship, they're going to double down on this team. They're going to make sure that they extend everybody's contracts, right? And we mm -hmm. get their picks later on. And all these guys are injury prone. Paul George, Kawhi. Like, we get their, we own their fucking picks. We own everything. So all we got to do is, again, sit back and wait. Because if the Clippers win, they'll be like, yes, let's sign everybody to extensions. Let's make sure this team can stay together into the 40s. And to me, that's just like, that's like a, like a knucklehead move. So again, I want this to happen. You know, like let them win a championship this year when it doesn't really matter for us. <laughs> you know, like, cool. 2026, we get their pick if it's a, you know, like that's what we're talking about. 2025, pick swap. Keep this going, man. Never, never do pick swaps with teams that are on their way up if you are at your peak. Like, that's it, man. Do you're right. Like, trade the picks, but pick swaps yeah. means that like you're fucked no matter what. You only like the only way that you're gonna be okay is if you end up like being tenth and eleventh place. Other than that, like if you get if you're fifteenth and they're eighth and they swap or the other way around and they swap with you, then your whole fan base yep. is cursing you for for giving away that star. Like. It's a mess. It's insane. Yeah. But it's what we need. And I, we need billionaires who right. are riverboat gamblers who are ready to go all in on, you know, whatever. All right. James Harden trade. Then let's talk about, again, back to this game. All right. Squirrel. Um, but <clears throat> I, I got to say is for me, watching Shea get beat up in the first half, right? And it was just frustrating. The whole game, he's getting, like, just running into a wall over and over again. And I'm like, ah, oh, like, right? He's hitting shots. He's doing some things. But the refs aren't calling anything for him. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get a technical. He doesn't do any of these other stupid shit that other players do out there. He gets focused. I think he ends the game with 34 points, 32 points. You know, like... Like, and the thing was, is that he was out in the, the, the end of the game. And everybody's like, why is he playing in the end of the game? It was because the Pistons weren't done with their run. And, you know, coach recognized that. They're, at the point, I think they went on a 7-0 run. Russ comes back in the game. It was a 17-point game. And they still cut it five more points. So if Russ or uh, Shea wasn't yeah. in the game, then it would have been a completely different situation. So I, I, I applaud Coach D to recognizing that Pistons were on the run. And getting Shea in the game and making sure he, he did what he did because, again, putting up the points that he did allowed this team to just chill. And we had a lot of guys with 20-plus points. It was nice to see. What's up, Gonzo? Yeah, dude, it was a great balance. Like, um, Giddy, like, uh, we don't win that game. We don't hold off that comeback if Giddy doesn't, like, suddenly Score go 12 from, points in the fourth quarter? Yeah, 8 to, <laughs> eight to 20. And, like, 20, 21, what, baby. What did we win by, 12? Yeah, 12. I mean, like, that's so, not, it's not even like an imagination to say, like, he needed it. And here's the thing every game this season so far, he's been playing downhill, get to the post, hit your spots. And a lot of times those shots haven't been going in, even though we've been sitting here being like, that's a good shot. That's a good shot. That's a good shot. Coaches have been saying that's a good shot. Keep shooting it. And here yeah. we are 
he gets into the fourth quarter and his consistency carries us. It really yeah. did. And then Shea came in and he hit the afterburners and get game over. But like, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah. And Josh is just <clears throat> unbelievable. Um, last night, just attacking the way he did Chetman. He didn't play in the fourth quarter very much. He got five fouls and they pretty much sat him the rest of the game. Happy with that. 14 points, four blocks, two steals, three assists, four rebounds, two for two on the free throws, four for five on three pointers uh, in 24 minutes, man. Just a crazy night for him. I get excited about any time that we have somebody go four for five from three point range, uh, much less a rookie, which we seem to have a lot of rookies that just, I don't know, is connecting on their shots right now. Kaysen Wallace missed his first three pointer of his career in the NBA. That was kind of sad. Um, but he did not miss a shot besides that. He shot two for two on free throws um, and one for two on field goals, which that was a phenomenal play that he was able to get that bucket with four points. Isaiah Joe, nine points. Uh, Bertans got in there, hit a three and got fouled on another three, got six points in the minutes that he played. That was big to see. Um, and then Usman Jang had 10 points leading off of our bench. So big minutes bench played pretty big. What's that? Like, Jang played huge minutes in the fourth. Oh, yeah. His shot, man, it's so smooth. And I again, I'm always on a, a big fan of anybody that can do what he did. And we put up 33 points to match um, the Pistons, 33 points. Um, this is crazy, man. So the first quarter, we got up 12 points, 21 to 33. And then we both scored 26 in the second quarter. We both scored 32 in the third quarter. And we both scored 33 in the fourth quarter. So the difference in the game really came down to um, that uh, uh, first quarter, man. And we were up by 20 points at one point. So it's crazy to think like how much this went back and forth, back and forth, and quickly it went. Yeah, a young team like the Pistons reminds me a lot of how we were. Um, and you find yourself in a spot where you're down by 20, but you can overcome that with some better play and the team getting oh, yeah. a little bit laxed and we, we recognized, I think, a lot of ourselves in the Pistons, and we were just like, we understood that they didn't know that the game was over. And if the other team doesn't accept that the game is over, it's not over. Like, no. you can have a 20-point comeback in five minutes if the, the team that's behind just determines that it's not over, and the team that was in mm. front thought that it was, and they're just trying to delay. So we outplayed mm. them for all four quarters. We outplayed them for all the phases of the game. There were minutes... There were a couple times where they were outplaying us in a quarter, and then we were able to come back and make sure that we, you know, played the way that we needed to to get the win. Um, Chet getting five fouls, that was, that seemed like it might be a turning point in the game, but it ended up not really being a difference maker. How much do you think him getting called for fouls could um, interrupt his progress? You know, I, I thought about that last night, um, but. When you are able to put 24 minutes out on the court, like for a rookie, that's big. I don't care if you get in foul trouble or not. Like that's to me is, is something that, yes, he's going to get up in that 30 minute range a lot throughout his uh, rookie season, but um, anything above 22 minutes for him is a, a bonus. So um, I'm not too worried about it. I, I don't think that, you know, this being the first time he's been in foul trouble, I don't think it's something that we're going to see a lot. I felt like he got ripped off on two calls that were blocks, um, completely ripped off. Um, so I think that's one of those things, man. Was one of them challenged by coach? Is that, I think that's, it was a chat block that was challenged. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, they actually we actually uh, got it overturned. So and right. it didn't show up in the stats yet again. Yeah. What's up, Gerald? I, I, I just I don't know, man. I get I get so frustrated every single game when I'm looking at the stats. And I'm seeing that Chet's not getting rewarded for block shots, and then I'll look at Amen Thompson and like like barely block shots. You can barely call it a block shot. They're throwing it up there, or Victor. That's like, oh yeah, block shot, boom. And you're like, no, 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 that was a deflection. Yet they call it a block shot. It's it's ridiculous, man. Like Chet is getting ripped off right now, and it's just like what with happening with Shea. Like last night, Shea finally got to the foul line, you know, nine times, right? But it was a crazy game, man. Amen Thompson was like all over him all night. Didn't let him breathe. Was pushing him. Was shoving him. Was hitting him. Like it was consistent. And it was impressive, first of all, for a rookie to be able to hold up with Shea like that. But, you know, Shea figured it out, man. You know, and that's what we've been saying is, like, the refs have been watching Shea on video. They've been, you know, seeing what his weaknesses are and what he's doing wrong and making sure they don't call those fouls, right? But last night, he was able to figure out how to get the calls. And I don't know how he did it. I don't know where the switch was on that happened in the second half, but... Like it happened, and I'm I was really pumped to see that he was able to get to the foul line nine for nine on free throws last night. Yeah, I mean it's been a J Dub nineteen. That was like the only challenge that we weren't expecting this year was having Shea have trouble getting to What's the up, free Sammy? throw line. What's up, Sammy? Like Shea get not getting to the free throw line. Teams playing, um, you know, pretty much same type of defense in that they're playing extremely physical but they're not coming down with their hands and then as the game went on the pistons got a little bit tired and shea was able to exploit some of their um, defensive lapses but yeah like this has been really interesting how um shea's been able to handle the the lack of calls the refs seem like all in alignment with what they're going to call for shea and what they're not going to call for him and yeah this is a a season that we weren't expecting, but he's going to have to reinvent in the middle of the season on the fly. Mm. Yeah, man, we shot pretty well from three point range last night, 44.8. Um, but I mean, to be able to win a game by 12 points when the, the team shoots, uh, the other team shoots 53% from three point range is pretty outstanding. So 15 for 28 is what um, Detroit hit from threes. Um, that was great, man. So between the difference there in the three-point um, shots and our hitting more free throws, you know, four more free, free throws, that kind of end up equaling out. But, man, this was just a great night. Like, I understand that people are like, what's the Pistons? You're supposed to put them away. But last year, we had trouble putting away teams that we should put away. The year before, same thing. The year before that, same thing. I mean, we could go back to the history of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Teams that we are supposed to put away, we have trouble with. I think there's like two years that we didn't have trouble with them. But most of the time, we have trouble with these teams. And I'm, I'm cool with it because the more we see these guys put together, What's up, Matt? What's up, you Jim? know, the, the um, camaraderie together, mm-hmm. as they're building that, as they're understanding what each other needs to be successful, it's over, man. Like, we're seeing something in Oklahoma City that hasn't been put together since the early years of the league. When you had the Boston Celtics team that was, had a team that was a championship caliber team, and then they had draft picks every year because they traded some players and they got, kept on getting number one picks or number two picks or number three picks. And even though 
they were you know competing for a championship every year. So for me, it's the same type of idea that Sam Presti's trying to build here. And you adding all these draft picks that Sam keeps on pushing out. You know, guys, if you didn't see Denver, uh, we just got uh, the Clippers just got James Harden. We threw in there a 2026 pick that's protected, and we're getting a 2027 from the Clippers that is a pick swap. So unprotected pick swap. So, so Jayden, in the long real quick scheme to, of things, is crazy. Um, summarize real quick. We took that 2026 unprotected pick from the Clippers. We smashed some protections on it so that we could make sure we weren't giving up too much. So while what you're saying is correct, we're giving up 2026 unprotected pick. It's also, you have to add that we added protections to that pick for ourselves. So that's yes. that. And then on top of that, we get a 2027 unprotected um, swap pick swap from the Clippers. So I, I think that combination is definitely worth it. Um, ideally, we would see us score a 2026 top five pick, top 10 pick in that range, and then come back and get that pick swap from the Clippers. That would be, that'd be fucking fantastic, and it would basically leave um, whoever trades with Philly, because I don't think Philly's going to take these picks down the line, right? I think yeah. whoever trades with Philly will say like, okay, we're like, say the Knicks last year, they took our three or two years ago, they took our three worst picks for Usman Jank. Yep. And that's how it'll be. Like the, the Sixers will be like, look, this is a pick, although it's protected, heavily protected and all this different stuff. It's a pick. It's it has gonna, value. It's going to be one of the three, the, the worst of the three picks probably of the Thunders that right. 2026. Right. And then other teams will be like, all right, well, we're trying to get three picks. So that'll count as one of the picks, even though it doesn't, doesn't, change anything they're yeah. just like the next be a late 20 picks. right yeah. right now that's the whole game we want it to be in the late 20s and we want us to only collect them if they're you know top lottery we want lottery picks and we want but listen it i'm i'm telling you one of these years we're going to have four or five first round draft picks and there's going to be a top <laughs> seven pick right and sam press is going to take those four or five picks and he's going to trade them for that top seven pick and everybody mm-hmm. will be like what the fuck just happened you know because like as things are getting better, right? In the NBA, like you think about the NFL, right? And you think about these teams that will go out and they'll be like, I want this player and I'm willing to trade all my draft picks to get that one player. And a team that's rebuilding is like, yeah, I need players, right? I need lots of players. So I'll take all those picks for that pick, you know? And I think that's the same situation that's going to go on here is that as teams are figuring out that they're so like, just thin on the bench and the only way to build is by going to the draft and building it that way because if you build your team through the draft and you build your team through utilizing you know multiple picks in that draft and 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 basically assuring yourself that you're going to hit on one or two of those players like people are going to say i would rather have the 12th pick the 18th pick the 22nd pick and the 30th pick more so than my top seven pick and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be nice because those are the times that you're going to see Sam Presti really do some crazy things because we'll only need one player, you know, and that would be the one player that Sam Presti wants. Yeah, but remember, we always talk about there's there's different um, lanes that you can join the Thunder on, right? Like there's not as many as there used to be, but you have um, in the same draft, we had a, a J-Dub, right? And we had um jay will uzman yep. jang right now chet came in but he, that was like it was a year later he showed up but 
Well, I think each one of those guys demonstrates a lane that will consistently be available every year for the Thunder. Um, right. Jay Will is a second round pick who can, you know, play great defense and finds his way yep. to knock down shots. You've got um, Jay Dub, who will start on any team in the NBA. And yep. you've got Usman Jang, that's a long term prospect that mm-hmm. coach says, or Sam Presti says, you know, in five years, he could be one of the best players in the league or he might not be in the league. It's kind of like True. when he drafts them, it's like that combination. Those are the, the, the lanes that I see available. Um, this Chet superstar lane, um, those, are gonna, yep. those aren't going to be there as much anymore. It's going to be um, Case and Wallace, number 10, um, J-Dub or Jang. Like those are the guys that this team is going to be built on in the future. We talked about this for years, bro. Like if Sam Presti can get uh, – 10 through 13 pick every single year and add a level of talent to the the group like that every year this team will be what you're talking about like that boston celtics level dynasty they just will be yeah it's just a matter of time i mean like that's what we've been saying we've been saying about this team and the way sam presti you know has built this team and, and why mark and i get so excited about it man it's because we see the correlations in the history of the game to what the thunder are doing you know, Mark and I have been students of the game since, you know, in the 80s when Mark and I used to watch the New York Knicks. Um, I, you know, I, I think that understanding from the time periods that you and I have had an opportunity to meet some of the greats and being able to sit down and talk to them about what it takes to be a good player and, and um, understanding like them teaching us moves and what we're looking at to be able to be successful in the league and stuff like that. And Understanding that and then putting into context with players, you know, and I, I get excited because I, I look at this team and I see so many times of like tiny Archibald, you know, and, and Scranton, Pennsylvania sitting down with us and being like, we were able to have a championship caliber team because we had this player and this player that was drafted and this player that came over in a trade and this player like that. And then you start seeing the correlations and you're like, yeah, see tiny Nate Archibald, man, he knew what was going on. He understood what everything else was able to connect. And that's what's exciting to me, man. Like, we are right there. That's what we are. We are a team that nobody thought was even possible to be able to do what we're doing. And I really do believe that, as, as Sombra said, as Mark say, says that this team is a 60-win um, team. This team is a 60-win team. Whether it's this year or next year or the year um, after, it won't matter because the core of this team is going to stay the same. There's no, nobody's going to get traded. Nobody's going to get, you know, left off of this team. If, if a player gets traded, it's going to be because he got outplayed by a younger player. That is it. And his worth isn't what everybody thought he was. So for me, as this team is getting healthy, as we see Jay will start getting back and putting back into the rotation, and we see Kenny Hustle getting put back in the rotation, and we see all these other guys that are coming in, I'm telling you right now, guys, this team is not one of those teams that you can overlook. They're deep. So deep. They have the scores on every single level. Chet now can shoot. Everybody's been so focused on Chet's defense and Chet can uh, score inside, but everybody's forgot that he can fucking shoot. Like, lights motherfucking out, guys. And that's it. We'll see you guys tomorrow. See ya.